0: G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and I successfully maintained that weight loss now coming up 2 years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar, and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. And this is episode 58. So just before we get to today's guest, I just wanted to pass on a sincere vote of thanks to all those that have been by my book, The Fasting Highway on Amazon and both paperback and Kindle, the story of my own journey and my own walk from morbid obesity to normality a warts and all journey of what it's like to live an intermittent fasting lifestyle, lose a lot of weight and also maintain it. So if you want to read that, you'll find it on Amazon and both paperback and Kindle. So let's get to today's guest, and I'm excited to be joined by Layla Jean, and Layla is from Iowa in the United States, where she works in a correctional facility as a counsellor. And Layla's had some real battles with weight her whole life, and has seen her weight fluctuate up and down some hundred pounds a couple of times. And her journey is quite remarkable, and she's a very inspirational woman. So here to tell us all about her journey today is the inspiring Layla Jean. Oh, good day, Layla, and welcome to the Fasting Highway. And thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's a real pleasure. I, I so enjoy your posts and the groups and and congratulations on your recent weight loss milestone. I think you're fantastic. But Layla, for those that don't know you, maybe we'll just start off with a bit of your backstory and sort of problems you had with weight in your life and sort of what led you to the path of intermittent fasting in the first place.
1: Okay. Uh, I will try to condense that. It's a pretty long story, but I think I, um, was probably classified as obese by age six or seven. I can remember seeing a picture of me at seven, um, with a pretty portly tummy already. Uh, I would say in high school, I was around 190, 190 pounds. Most of the time I was a cheerleader. I was active somewhat, but I was still kind of chubby. And then I I went through some trauma in my childhood and really what happened, I think, along the way is that food became my best friend and food became my comfort when I didn't find the comfort from the people that were supposed to be there for me. Like, you know, um, not to go too deep into that, but just... You know, where I didn't have the comfort of parents, or I've had some trauma in my household. I would use food as a way to comfort myself. I had children. Really, didn't gain a lot of weight with my children. My first two boys, I gained 26 pounds each time, and kind of came back down around the 200 mark every time. Had my third child. My third child has a brain injury um, and had a birth defect. He was born with hydrocephalus, and that was really stressful. And that's really where the weight gain took off because. Uh, my little guy had had six brain surgeries in the first, I don't know, seven months of his life. During that time, I, I guess I probably got up to two forty the first time. I've lost over a hundred pounds tw- uh, twice before, and then you mentioned my weight loss milestone. I just now lost another hundred pounds with IF. I lost, hit the hundred pound mark on Saturday. But I've ha- pretty much battled my weight and obesity, r- I mean, real obesity, with some scary consequences since um, I was probably 25. The scariest consequences ended up happening this last time, when I gained it this last time. It, was, it wasn't like the times before. You know, um, when you're young and you put on, you can put on a good 60, 70 pounds, and yeah, it's a little bit of a struggle, but you're still able to move around. This last time was scary. Um, I was having a lot of sleep apnea issues, so I was waking up choking and sputtering in the night. I was having tons of inflammatory problems, so I had had every inflammatory marker in my blood was extremely high, deadly high on some of the markers. I had phlebitis, so I was getting those swollen knots in my legs and arms, like for, on my veins. That's what phlebitis is. It's inflammation of the, of the veins. I had plantar fasciitis so bad I was considering a cane, Um, and I was only 43. So um, I was also exhausted. Like, this is how I knew it was really taking a toll on my health. I would be driving home from work and feel myself starting to try to doze off. I had about a 45 to 50-minute commute, and I would come home, and by this time, my oldest child, or my youngest child, I'm sorry um was was 16 to 17 years old or so and i would make sure he had knew what he was making himself for dinner and just tell him man tyler mom is so tired i've got to get laid down i can't i can't continue on with the evening and sometimes i would be asleep by 5 5:30 p.m. you know the scariest part about this is at the time you know i was working i work in a men's prison um, and at the time, I was working at a, a medium, it, it's classified as a medium, medium, maximum security. So, you know, I'm, I was pushing probably about 280 at that point, 280 pounds. I'm only five foot four. I was inflamed. I could barely walk. And I, I started as an officer at the prison. Now I'm a counselor, but still. You know, security is everybody's problem in a prison. It's everybody's issue, and everybody needs to be able to take part if there's an emergency. And there was a point where I thought, you know, if my coworkers are in trouble, I can't help anymore. I am too big. I'm going to be out of breath. I'm not going to be able to help control any 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 of the movement. Um, it was really kind of a scary situation. So, um You know, I had the first the first time I lost weight, I lost it with Weight Watchers, which was, you know, I don't regret that because it gave me my first introduction to healthy eating. Uh, As I mentioned, I had a lot of trauma in my childhood. We were raised on ultra processed food. Um, I really didn't have the first clue about healthy eating. So Weight Watchers kind of taught me that and taught me some portion control. The second time I lost weight, though, I lost it through severe calorie restriction and over-exercising, um, and that was just too much to maintain. Probably the week or two before I heard about IF, I had decided, okay, I've got to do something. I can't continue on like this, and I tried the severe calorie restriction and stuff again. And I had had a hair, hair appointment scheduled um, with one of my dearest friends. She, um, I've known her since we were, you know, she was in elementary school. Uh, and it's really hard to get into her, okay, because she's really, really good at her job. So I, you have to schedule your appointments two months out. And I woke up that morning. I about fell down the stairs because of my feet were like balloons. And I had decided a week or two before that that I was going to try calorie restriction again and exercise. And I did that. And I remember that morning I got on the scale and I'd actually gained more weight. And I thought, uh, like, I did not want to go to the appointment. You know, her, she... Little backstory. I was a fitness instructor the second time I lost weight. I was a fitness instructor for almost nine years, actually. but she used to even come to my classes. and so she's known me so intimately in that way that I almost hated going to to her salon anymore because I knew she had to be worried. You know, and later she she told me she was actually incredibly worried and told me that, what really worried her most was she noticed that the spark in my eyes was gone. I was not the same person. I was really miserable, negative, struggling to find happy things in my life. And she knew that it had a lot to do with my weight, but I didn't want to go to that appointment and God bless it. I did. And thank goodness, because she just, was cutting my hair. And she just started talking about this thing she'd, she'd tried called intermittent fasting. And she was telling me a little bit of the benefits and she knows me and she knows I love a challenge. And so I got in my car after my hair appointment and opened up a podcast app and searched intermittent fasting. And of course, the first thing that pops up is Jen Stevens and Melanie Avalon's podcast at the time. This was two years ago. And so I hit play and I listened to it on the way home. Uh, That was a Friday, and I started IF on Sunday of that week, and I've never looked back. It was um, in April of 2019.
0: Wow. Well, there's some backstory, and um, you had a lot of stresses in your life there with the child, and I can only imagine what it's like working in in a men's prison and the stresses that involves as well, and the security issues around that. You sort of lost that sort of 100 and gained it, and... Now you sort of lost it again and it's just amazing. And Layla, I just wanted to touch also on the fact that when you come to intermittent fasting, you found Jin's podcast and you want to start. How did you go about that? I mean, what protocol did you do and and how did you actually choose that?
1: Well, most of the people that know me around the groups know that I can be a bit of drama. I am a moderator for Jin and so I get to know I've gotten to know a lot of them um, behind the scenes, of course. And man, intermittent fasting was not easy for me in the beginning. I ate all day prior to IF, and I ate whatever my little heart desired. So I'll tell you, the first month of IF, I set my timer to sixteen hours and just begged myself to make it. Like it, I did not have an easy time of it. Um, you know, I did sixteen eight probably for the first three or four weeks, then it started to become easy. And as we know, that's usually, you know, could be about the time where glycogen stores from your liver start to deplete on a daily basis and you switch to fat burning. So I th- I would suspect, I think probably five weeks or so is when it got really hard all of a sudden. So I knew that that was happening. After that, I sw- I just slowly increased my time. So I went to 17.7 for several weeks and then I went to 18.6. I finally, probably two and a half months in, settled on 24, which I loved. And I think, you know, if I, when I, once I do hit maintenance, I shouldn't say if I'm going to. And when I do, I'll probably go back there because I enjoyed it. That allowed me to have, you know, a larger snack. And then at the end, they're about three hours into the window, have my meal. Um, but then I stalled. So, that first the first 60 pounds pretty much fell off okay um i had so much infl- inflammation in my body when i started that when i finally started to just give my body a break it fell off so i would say i lost the first 60 pounds in about 6 months and then i stalled and i feared that okay and so then i went to 213 uh, still couldn't lose anything. So then I finally thought, you know, I had been watching some of the group members talk about alternate day fasting. And there was one night I had went to 23 one, uh, kind of out of desperation. Okay, fine. I'm just going to eat and all packing all my food in this one hour window. And I'm going to do this. And that worked a little bit. I think I lost another five pounds, but I really wasn't still losing. Little did I know eat whatever you want doesn't mean just eat whatever you want, right? But that was that's a whole nother story. So I I was watching some conversations about ADF. And I saw Roxy uh, Moreno and Jimmy Detman talking about it. They've both been on your podcast before. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to ask a few questions. And if they talk to me about it, great. So they talked to me about it. And I set a goal for the following week to start alternate day fasting. And I ended up Doing a six, a 16 week round of alternate day fasting in a four three pattern. So that means uh, four up days and three full fasting days. Um, I did not use the modified um, mini meal, the modified alternate day fasting at that point. I did full fasts. Uh, and that helped really kick up a plat, you know, kick that plateau and I lost another 15 pounds and that 15 to 18 pounds, maybe, maybe it was, it's been a while now. So I, I'm struggling to remember another 15 to 18 there. Um, and then I could tell my body was done. I had really increased my exercise at that point. Um, so I went back to OMAD and that's where I realized this is kind of where, um, me understanding that I do not understand my body when it comes to food comes in.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think it's um, difficult sometimes for people to sort of know where to start. And I always say to people that I mentor and help, I say, look, just maybe start with a 16 and 8. And what I mean by that is a 16 hour fasting period. And then that 8 hour period where you're sort of eating, just so you can get used to it, because it is quite difficult at the start. And I don't think everybody has immediate success or a lot of people do struggle, Layla, um, with intermittent fasting. And I was like you. I was a guy that pride IF, I was eating 20, 30 times a day. So the, the idea of eating once a day was pretty insane. And I remember when I first came across One Meal a Day Lifestyle, my initial reaction was just, what sort of weirdos actually do that? I mean, nobody does that. And then once I looked into it a bit further and, and got to understand it, it was much easier. So Let's just start with your stats too, Um, Layla. When you first came to intermittent fasting, I know the listeners like to know that. Just run us through your stats, your height, what weight you were when you started the intermittent fasting. You mentioned there you lost 60 pounds in that first six months.
1: Yeah. So I am five foot four inches. And the day I started IF, I weighed in and I was 272 pounds. And so I did a little conversion here because I know you use kilos. So that's 123.4 kilos. And now I am 171 pounds. So if I do the conversion here, it looks like that's 77.56 kilos.
0: Wow, that's huge. And so when you first started intermittent fasting, you mentioned there you're sort of white-knuckling a bit to your um, eating window through the fast. What sort of techniques did you sort of work on to help you with that?
1: Well, um, you know, I, I think I just, I had just finished up telling you that, you know, um, I went back to the OMAD after that big round of ADF and then I really stalled again, um, and realized I have a problem with food. I don't understand my body. So I, you know, behind the scenes, I was watching some of the moderators do the Zoe study. um, I wasn't so sure about doing that myself. The price was a sticking point for me. Um, I it, it wasn't a sticking point. I shouldn't say that, but it did make me pause. And really the main reason it made me pause is because I thought, well, if I'm going to commit to 6 months of this study and spend nearly $300 on it, that means I'm going to have to do something about it at the end, right? So it wasn't really that the price was the problem, but more my me trying to understand if I was going to be willing to follow the recommendations once it happened, you know, once I did it. Um so instead, while I watched them go through the Zoe study, I decided to do another round of alternate day fasting. Um and it ended up being a complete disaster. Uh essentially what happened was, you know, I um I had only been back to OMAD for a couple of months. The alternate day fasting at the end of that first round was really taxing. I could tell um, my body didn't want to do it. I work out sometimes twice a day. But I decided, well, I'm not losing weight going back to OMAD, so I'm going back to the full fasts. Um, And so I started up a a pattern of 42-hour fasts with like an 8-10 to hour eating time the next day. The problem was that I became... A monster when it came came to food, and I started binging. Um, and I do have a history of binging and a history of emotional eating, as I'd mentioned before. So uh, I had gotten so far away from my satiety signals at this point. Because I wasn't listening to my body, my body was screaming for nutrients and really wanting me to not fast so long. And I wasn't listening. I lost basically all sign of satiety signals and ate all day when it was my up day. I can fast like a champ, uh, but really figuring out what nutrient dense food means and portion control has always been a problem for me. And it really was this time with alternate day fasting, I would open up my window and I would eat um, my meal, then I would have a snack then I would eat another meal and then probably another snack. And at the end of the window or when I'm getting ready to close up for the next 42 hour fast, my mindset was dread and hurry up and get some sugar because now we have to go another 42 hours. And I should have listened to my body. Alternate day fasting is fabulous and it has its place. It definitely has its place for people who are dealing with insulin resistance and things like that. But Sometimes there's no need to push a longer fast. What's necessary is to learn what foods work for your body. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: That's really important. And for those that are more interested in alternate day fasting, we had Rachel Awad on episode six, and we also had Roxy Marino, who both gave an excellent explanation. And I think alternate day fasting does have a place, and it certainly has its benefits And it's not something I've ever dabbled in I mean the longest I've ever fasted was 36 hours purely by by chance one day uh, the rest of the time I was pretty pretty constant at 23 and 1 when I was losing the weight and Roxy and and Rachel really laid it all out about the right reasons and the wrong reasons and I know Layla I get people ringing me on a Monday and they've put on a bit of weight over the weekend because I've been to a party or a wedding or something's happened and they're in a big panic mode you know and I They're saying to me, oh, do I need to do these long fasts now? And I say, no, you don't. And so just try and give people a picture of what the right reason is and the wrong reason and why extended fasting isn't necessarily the best fasting.
1: Yeah, and and really that is the problem, right? It's the mindset behind it. Um, I have, I mean... I am a moderator for gin. And so I do know the benefits of the longer fasts. You know, I know that it regulates your hormones. I know that you have an increase in human growth hormone when you do that. You know, um, you get longer, a lot longer in fat burning, obviously, and there are great metabolic boosts for doing so. I think I was saying those were my reasons, but really what my reasons were was so that I could go hog wild with food on my up days. You know what I mean? I I felt like I had no control over my, my diet. And so my way to counteract this was to fast a really long time and then eat whatever I wanted. It became a really unhealthy thing for myself because of my mindset. I had mentioned earlier that I was dreading it. That's a clear sign, you know. When you're dreading your next fast, that's a clear sign that you aren't doing something right for your body. I was obsessing over food at some points. You know, it was every single time I had an update, uh, I was telling myself things like, "Well, you can go ahead and have the, you know, that bag of sour gummies because you you earned it. You just fasted for 42 hours." Or, you know, the the answer to "Do you want ice cream?" was always yes. Okay. Well, that's, it's basically, you know, shooting yourself in the foot. You know, you're doing all this, the big fast, but then you're not really feeding your body nutrient dense food. And what happens when you binge is that your body is searching for nutrients and it's going to compel you to continue eating until it finds it. So, uh, I ended up tracking, um, I had a a fairly humbling experience. Um, I did do the Zoe study, as I mentioned, and I know we'll talk about that later, but you know, I had a humbling experience when I finally got my ZO results back and I decided to track a normal day for me, um, a normal OMAD and a normal up day, just so I could kind of see where I was at because I mentioned I'd lost all sign of satiety signals. So my ZO score for, which it gives you a score zero to hundred based on whether or not you're eating per their recommendations. And I thought I had chosen a pretty healthy OMAD. Well, my score was 33 (laughs) out of 100, and I ate 3,200 calories in two hours. Um, That caused me some pause, but the real pause came when I tracked an up day because I decided, like I said, I was going to eat exactly how I would on one of these big old up days that I've been having. And I pushed nearly 9,000 calories. Now that's, it's an insane amount of calories. But one thing I, you know, I did laugh about is boy, have I sure healed my metabolism because believe it or not, Graham, I was still losing um, ounces doing this pattern. I wasn't losing a whole bunch of weight, but I was still losing ounces. So boy, had I fixed my metabolism. If I could eat 9,000 calories and still lose anything.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great explanation. And That's the sort of thing would um, stop me from taking up something like that because I I know even on my TMAD days or two meals a day on the weekend now I'm maintaining, I know when I eat that little bit earlier in the day, I have that real compulsion to want to keep eating and Mm -hmm. like I'll have a brunch with my wife at a local cafe or something here on a Saturday or a Sunday and I'll come home and then I know that I feel like that grazing effect sometimes wants to kick in even though my mindset now is, is stopping me from doing that but there is that compulsion to do that when I start early in the day. So I can imagine when you have those long fast 42 hours and then you're thinking towards the end of them, oh man, I'm coming up and I've got to fast for another 42 hours and my up days now, I've got another 15 minutes to go. I'm going to get as much food into me as I can because, and as Jin says, you don't want to eat for future hunger, right? So I wanted to circle back when you, when you started in your eating window there, and you mentioned before you, that message about you can eat whatever you want, and I think we really need to explain that to people too, which has been misunderstood a lot, I think, and and Jin's explained that a lot, and people just don't get it. We're talking about Jin Stevens here, by the way, the New York Times best-selling author, um, who's the founder of The Delay Don't Deny, a Facebook community of which Layla's a moderator. And we do hear that message, you can eat whatever you want within a minute fast. Evening. I get a of time from people, but just clarify that message for us, Layla, in your own words.
1: Yeah, so... You know, really what I think in in a nutshell she means is you can eat whatever you want, which means whatever your body is asking for. Um, you know, treats uh, treats have their place. People a lot of people do enjoy treats, but your body is asking for nutrients. Now, when I first started intermittent fasting, I'm not going to lie, that was one of the hearing eat whatever you want was one of the main reasons I thought okay, I can do this. And to be honest, for the first year I did just that. I sometimes you know, ate four slices of pizza in my window with a salad and some chocolate, but that doesn't work long term. I mean, you do eventually have to figure out your food. And the message I think she's sending there is, you need to eat the foods that make your body feel good. And if we're being honest, I mean, our minds often think all of that sugar feels good, but our bodies know that it it doesn't. And ways you can tell are. You know, rapid heart heart rate, sweating after eating a whole bunch of sugar, having gastric distress, you know, being on the on the toilet for, you know, with bouts of diarrhea and things like that. Th- those are signs that you your body absolutely doesn't doesn't like it.
0: And I know, as a former sugar addict myself, the difference um, in that and when I was a sugar addict, I spent a lot of time in the bathroom. That's for sure. <laughs> Not, yeah, maybe TMI that, but. um and that's the truth. That that actually does. And that's the toxic nature of what's happening to your body when you're eating that too much of it and uh, processed foods. And, and look, I don't judge anybody for what they eat or how they fast or anything. And I made that quite clear in my own group, The Fasting Highway. We don't judge anybody because you have to find your own niche. And yeah. when you have that window, what will happen is anyway, like Layla's just said, over time, you'll find out those foods that are triggering you. That's why I weigh every day because I use that tool to be able to tell me which foods were reacting to me. Because I already knew that bread was a killer for me, right? I only have to look at a slice of bread and I'll gain two pounds. It's just the way I am. And, you know, alcohol, beer. Um, So I made a switch. I started drinking vodka and soda instead of beer, and it was much better for me weight-wise. I wasn't getting those gains from drinking beer. And then things like rice, pasta, flour, and then obviously sugar, the processed foods from the drive-through, that sort of thing. I just cut those right out. Because I knew they weren't working for me, so I couldn't eat whatever I wanted. And some people are lucky. We all know those people, Layla. I'm sure you work yeah. with them at the prison. These probably guys in there that look like they go to the gym every day, yet they eat really badly. And and you always sort of get frustrated by that. But some people's DNA is just different, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, and I, I agree with you. So you know, before I go too far into that, I do obviously subscribe to the idea also of keep your eyes on your own plate, meaning everybody's going to come to what makes their body feel good in their own time. And it had somebody come to me in the first six months when I was still really emotionally fragile and really took me to task about my diet, I probably would have stopped. Uh, I would have stopped the fasting and I would have been frustrated and sad and upset. You know, so I, I agree with you. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I encourage everyone and I don't judge what they're eating. Now, that might look a little different though. If they come to me for advice, I was, um, um, I did participate in the mentorship program of advanced. And so if people did ask me for advice on food, especially once I have, I completed the Zoe study, I would, my number one advice is eat more veg, you know, eat, eat more vegetables. Uh, honestly, I was not eating near enough. I have discovered. So.
0: Yeah. I probably need to eat more vegetables myself. I don't often eat a lot of vegetables, (laughs) to be truthful. Um, Mm -hmm. So also, when you first started, Layla, we talk about clean fasting. Mm -hmm. And by clean fasting, we mean just black tea, black coffee, um, plain sparkling water, water, plain green tea. That's basically it during that fasting period. Were you doing that right from the, the start, Layla?
1: Yes, right from the beginning, because I did start by hearing Jen Stevens' podcast with Melanie Avalon. So um, now, I didn't like it. The first month, I basically would take a drink of my coffee and then cringe every time, but probably it probably took me about three weeks to adapt, and then I was fine. Uh, I was a huge creamer and sugar addict, though, um, prior to that.
0: Yeah, it's difficult for some people to get through that, and they always say, oh, I can't drink black coffee, and I'll say, well, the good news is you don't actually have to drink black coffee. Right,
1: I you mean- can drink water.
0: You can drink water, you can drink sparkling water, and you can drink tea or or whatever. You don't, it doesn't mean, I think a lot of people come to intermittent fasting and they think black coffee is a requirement, even if they haven't drunk coffee before. And that's why you often see these people saying, oh, this coffee's horrible, because they're not even coffee drinkers, really. And so that's great. You're clean fasting. And after that sort of plateau and you started busting that, run us through what was starting to happen after that. And we'll talk about now the non-scale victories we speak of, and also the health benefits. Just run us through some of those aside from that stunning weight loss.
1: Okay. So I have psoriasis, which is also an inflammatory condition. I used to get really huge patches of psoriasis up the fronts of my shins and on my elbows, uh, and on my knees, basically joints. Those are gone. Um, I don't get as much of the effects of the arthritis from psoriasis. I, I have the psoriatic arthritis part and I do still sometimes get flares of that, in the, especially in the wintertime when it's cold. Um, the phlebitis is gone. I don't think I've had a bout of phlebitis in two years. Um, the plantar fasciitis was the very first thing to leave, which was awesome. Um <clears throat> Because as I said, I was considering a cane. I don't know what my fasting insulin was at the beginning. I'm probably probably glad I don't, to be honest. But I did end up paying for a fasting insulin test. And my fasting insulin at about 14 hours into my fast is, was only 3.7 when I had it done. So I've got a great fasting insulin at this point. All of the inflammatory markers in my blood have, have come back down to normal. It, does, it looks like I never had any inflammation at all. Uh, so that was awesome. My doctor was really thrilled to see that. Um, as far as like non-scale victories in inches, I, I took my inches this afternoon just to see like where I was. And it looks like I've lost about 13 inches on my hips, uh, about 16 inches on my waist and about 11 inches on my chest. So, um, quite a bit in addition to the weight loss.
0: That's amazing. So your friends and family and your colleagues, what was their sort of reaction after that six months or more and you're losing all this weight? And you must have looked so different to what you were before. And and how is that going for you with with the people in your circle?
1: Um, most of the people um, in my circle know now. They just know that that's what I do. I've had several try it and go on and off. And, and sometimes they'll come to me with questions. I never push it on anyone. I know that You know, when my friend Kelly told me about it in that salon chair, it just happened to come. The message just happened to come at the right time. I was open to receiving it. Um, Anytime my friends or family ask me, I do guide them to the books, to several books on fasting. Um, But I I don't offer a lot of advice until they read it. Because I feel like you really need to commit to yourself. This isn't isn't another program where you just go, okay, give me the cliff notes. What do I do? You know, just give me the basics. What do I need to do in order to do this? That doesn't work because you are going to have to tweak uh, your protocol and tweak what you're eating and, you know, really understand the process along the way in order for this to work long term and for you to get to goal.
0: Yeah. And I think that's important because information is sometimes hard to impart, Layla, to people because. We have what I call group A, group B, group C, right? So group A are these people that they just want to know the bare bolts. Okay, Mm -hmm. how long do I fast for? What do I eat? That's it. Okay, I've gone away and do that. Then you have the second group, group B. I want to know that. Plus, I want to know a little bit of the science and a bit more involvement. And then you have group C, which wants to know everything. And so a mix of that is a really good idea to point them towards an excellent book. And obviously the, the go-to for me and, and most people would be Jim Stevens' books, um, Delay, Don't Deny, and also the uh, New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, which personally I think is the most comprehensive book uh, written on intermittent fasting. Uh, it has a 28-day fast start in there for people at are beginning and it steps you through that And then one of the reasons I wrote a book was because I had so many of these people like you asking me questions about, you know, how to do it, what to do, how did you do it, what did you eat, how did your day go, how did your friends react, you know, how did you handle that, you know, how did you weigh all that. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to write about this and put it in a book and I can just say, here's the book, have a read of my journey. But, you know, for people just starting out and they want a bit of the science, because I didn't put a lot of science in my book because there's people like, Dr. Jason Fung out there that I, I point to as well for the scientific side of things. The obesity code, obviously, is a go-to for the science. Yes. And also for research, you can't go past the New England Journal of Medicine. That's the most credible medical journal in the world. Um, there was a paper in December 2019 by Dr. Mark Mattson, which was a summary of studies that had been done into intermittent fasting. So those sorts of things and the information on the internet these days about the science and all that sort of things everywhere. But I I do think that's important. So Layla, I wanted to touch now on exercise. You mentioned there you're exercising a couple of days. Just run us through, and you mentioned you were a trainer there at one stage as well. Just run us through what your exercise regime is now and how that looked prior to IF.
1: Okay. So I was a group fitness instructor for nine years. The second time I lost a hundred pounds. So I wasn't a trainer. I just taught group fitness class. That's all I was trained to do. Um, I completely stopped exercising when I gained it all back this last time. The first six months of IF I didn't work out at all. Uh, I really just I I had given up, Graham. You know, I had lost a hundred pounds twice before, and I thought I was just destined to be fat. So I was gonna give intermittent fasting a try, but I wasn't gonna go all in right at first. I would say I started walking. Um probably at about six months in. So I'd start going on fitness walks and those got longer and longer the longer I did it. Um, I also have, we, we have purchased a a Nordic track elliptical and a Nordic track rower and we pay for the trainer portion of that. So now my, my regime now is that every morning I use one of those two items and I do a, a, a trainer led workout on one of those. And then I also do a lot, I use a lot of biohacking tools. So I do red light therapy, the PEMF mat, um, this thing called a fitness pod, which incorporates red light, um, vibration and sauna. You lay in it and it kind of gives you a passive workout. Um, but so I would say six to seven days a week, I work out in the morning, uh, in my home on either my elliptical or rower. And then probably three to four times a week, I work out at, this place called Next Edge here in Fort Dodge, uh, Iowa, and <clears throat> it has a giant red fit room, which is basically an infrared sauna. Um, but it's a large room, so they bring in a bicycle, um, an exercise bike, and weights, and I bring my exercise mat, and I do kind of a hit workout where I do um, eight minute rounds of riding the bike and then eight minutes of weights, eight minute round of riding the bike, eight minutes of weights, and I do that for about an hour. What I really love about that place is the RedFit room. You can book you book that on your own. So, during the pandemic, when you know we weren't allowed to be in the gym anymore, you could we could still uh, book that room because it's a private room. So, I usually work out in there for about an hour, four times, three to four times a week at 140 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: With all losing the weight, going up and down like that, hundred down, hundred up, sort of thing. I know people are going to want to know this, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but was loose skin a, a problem for you, Layla, or is it now? Was it the exercise really helping with that?
1: Yes. Um, so I do have some. I mean, you can only stretch your skin so many times like that, especially with that big of a weight fluctuation. I have some on my stomach and some on my arms and some on my inner thighs. I do think some of the longer fasts, you know, when I was when I was doing alternate day fasting in a healthy way um, and not over overeating or overconsuming in my up day, uh, I do think that it was taking care of some of that. I would imagine in order for me to have it so I wasn't a little self-conscious about it, I may need to have some surgery just because I've stretched it so many times. But yes, it's it's there.
0: With your job that you do, let's just delve into that a little bit. Um, obviously, it's is it giving you more confidence in the way you sort of interact with people? I mean, you mentioned there you're a counselor do you find you've got much more energy and you've got that real mental clarity and focus and you're able to relay that to people a lot more? Do you feel that coming out of you?
1: I do, actually. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I think even uh, the the clients on my caseload have noticed, is that I do a lot of talk about mindset and really trying to pump these guys up to change their lives. Um, I, of course went through the motions of doing that before losing this weight this time too. But it's really, really hard to motivate others to change your life when you're sitting there depressed and um, really knowing you need to make your own changes and you're not doing it. You kind of feel hypocritical. So yes, um, they would even probably tell you that there's a noticeable change in my mindset and my outlook. um, And just uh, my encouragement for them, you know, the level to which I'm able to provide encouragement. I talk a lot about goal setting and habit, habit forming behaviors and, you know, how, how to turn, well, really how to, how to work on setting positive habits for their daily life. And we talk a lot about that. One thing is too, the, the inmates do know that I fast and they think it's, they think it's amazing. And there's even been a couple who have been on my caseload who, who have attempted it. A couple, one of them in particular had type two diabetes. And of course I'm not offering medical advice ever. To somebody who has type two diabetes. I'm not a doctor. He just asked me, you know, the basics of fasting and fasting clean and stuff. And I was telling him, and he said he'd tried it a couple of days just to see how he would feel. So I think it's something he, he was planning to research when he was released and he was released. So I'm sure that he has taken a look at that since he's been out, but I wouldn't yeah. know. We're, we're not allowed to have, uh, obviously allowed to have personal contact with offenders. So I would have no idea, but
0: Imagine if you had all these people in our prisons and so forth that took up intermittent fasting and the, the savings to the government would be amazing, wouldn't they?
1: <laughs> and I know you're speaking yeah. to
0: some nurses, actually, when I was in hospital not long ago, and one of the nurses told me that intermittent fasting was a big thing in the nursing community now. Um, a lot of night shift workers in particular were doing it. So, yeah, that's really interesting. So, later, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is mindset you mentioned there. We know how important that is for an intermittent fasting journey. And for me, the mindset side of it and the mental part is 90% of this. Because unless your mind's in that right space, you're never going to be able to do this long-term and keep it sustainable. And I've found that by flicking my mindset and working on that a lot, those positive affirmations every day learning to love yourself first, not in an egotistical way, but just in a way that you appreciate yourself and you think in that positive mindset. So just run us through some of those techniques that you do and, and how you can probably help others with that.
1: So I've collected several mantras along the way from um, you know readings or from other moderators. One of my favorite mon- uh, mantras came from another moderator for Jen's Communities, Carrie Ross. She said one time, to me, it's a choice, not a chore. And for some reason that saying stuck with me because it's kind of a, it's a saying of empowerment, right? That this is, this is a choice. Food is plentiful for us and we're lucky for that. So this is a choice, not a chore. You don't have to do it. You're choosing to do it. Um, another one I love is one day at a time. I think sometimes, especially in the beginning of IF, people get really overwhelmed and they start to really overthink all the whole process. Really, just take it one fast at a time, one day at a time, one meal at a time, and that's how you really build your momentum and get some some fasting strength under your belt. I loved a couple from Jen Stevens, of course, and Delay Don't Deny. Um, Saturday is not a special occasion. It happens every week. That one was really, really hard for me, boo-hoo, because every Saturday was a special occasion as far as food, uh, previous to IF, so... Those are some things that I do. I also read a lot uh, on mindset. One of the things that really keeps me going is the podcast. So I love to listen to yours. I love to listen to Bet Lucas's podcast, The Big Bold Life. I listen to Melanie, Melanie Avalon's biohacking podcast because she keeps up and does, you know, keeps up with research and does these huge deep dives on topics. And of course, the intermittent fasting podcast with Jen and Melanie. I listen to all the time and intermittent fasting stories. So Um, I've recently started listening to low carb MD some also. So there's quite a repertoire of, of podcasts that I use to keep myself motivated. Um, I've read atomic habits by James clear. And I like to use a lot of those techniques in my own daily life, like habit stacking. And, um, I just, I, I find new ways to keep myself motivated all the time.
0: Yeah. You mentioned in circling back a bit. About you thought at one stage of your life that this is it. I'm just going to be obese for the rest of my life. I'm just going to be this size. I'm never going to be anything else. So, you know, I'm just going to be what I want, do what I want. And, you know, that's it because this is me. And I think a lot of obese people do get to that point. I know I did. I got to that point where I got so heavy, I thought the mountain is too high to climb. I'm never going to get out of this. I don't know how to get out of it. And I didn't know what hope there was of getting out of it. And when I found Jen Stevens' books, Delay, Don't Deny, and I found the Facebook groups, and for me, that was the ignition switch I needed because once I started looking at people, and I was just people like yourself and other people on there, and I was going, wow, this guy's unreal. You yes. know, this is amazing, these results. And, and you're not just seeing one person or two persons. And, and for me, it was the health benefits they were talking about, or the NSVs they were talking about, those things that were happening. And you mentioned there the psoriasis. I mean, I had chronic psoriasis. You may have heard me talk about it before. Mm -hmm. And that went away in six months completely. And I've interviewed several people on this podcast um, that had psoriasis and and helped with that. And I want to give a big shout out to hairdressers here too, because you're the third person that I've interviewed recently that found out about intermittent fasting while I was getting their hair done at the salon.
1: So thank you
0: to the um, hairdressing community out there. That's fantastic. So Layla, we always talk about the positives of intermittent fasting and how great it is and all that sort of thing. Were there any downsides for you? Like for me, it was that social aspect when I first started. I mean, I was such a party guy. I, well, I wasn't to the stage of a party animal. I guess I was when I was younger, but I sort of leveled out a bit. But I really missed the social aspect of of, of what I was doing in my life with intermittent fasting. What about you?
1: So for me, it was a sadness. Um, you know, As I said, I went through a lot of trauma uh, and I had a huge history with emotional eating. And so mindset plays a big, a big role for me. But honestly, it was having to find new coping mechanisms for emotions. Um, You know, if you're eating in a 23 1 or a 21 3 pattern or whatever it is, that's, you can't cram all of your, all of your emotions into that three hours. They're going to happen. And so that was really hard for me. Uh, I'm really committed now. I mean, I'm, I'm almost at my two-year anniversary. April 6th will be my two-year anniversary. So I'm really committed now. Um, but I had to learn a whole new way of being uh, with my feelings that didn't involve food. And here's the thing. I didn't always just eat for negative feelings. I ate for every feeling. So you feeling happy? Let's eat. Feeling sad? Well, let's eat, right? And it was just every emotion you could think of i could find a way to tie a cupcake to it that's that was me i loved gourmet cupcakes i love sugar uh i love sour candy um you know and those things would make me feel good because right i'd get the sugar rush so any feeling that i was having i would i would give sugar to it and it has been i have had a lot of stumbling along the way with that you know feeling sad or feeling like i had to miss out um yeah, you know. when really that's not what was happening. I just needed to reg- I just needed to check in with my emotions.
0: Yeah, was there a a point in time where you really started noticing that your taste for food were changing? Was there a certain point that that happened?
1: I don't know that my my taste for food really has changed. I know that I have learned to eat like a grown-up and I choose to do that 95% of the time but I would still love a good cupcake and I would still love a good pizza. I think the quality uh, of the, of the treats when I do have them has changed in that I would like to go to, you know, a wood fire pizzeria that makes their own dough rather than go to a chain restaurant now. Uh, Or like I said, a gourmet cupcake shop, you know, that makes their own right there in house rather than getting something from the, the grocery store. But I still think, um, I would love to have those. I just, um, you know, I've mentioned the Zoe study several times, and we haven't really talked about it. But I did do that, and I've learned through that study what what foods really nourish my body. And I am making a conscious choice every day to make sure that I'm incorporating those. I have been thriving on their recommendations. Uh, it's um, pushed me over a plateau. I've lost, you know, another twelve pounds in the last three and a half weeks, and I have learned. I have seen my taste changing now. For instance, I uh, was there just the other day was craving having Brussels sprouts, which I I can't remember having that happen prior to IF or prior to you know eating a lot more veg. Let's
0: um let's zone in on the Zoe study now. Okay. I want you to fully explain what it is. So I personally don't want don't know what it is, so I would love to hear the explanation too. What it is, how do you get started, what benefits there are, and what does it actually do?
1: So the ZOE study um, is—it's part of like the predict studies that were being done by Harvard researchers with Tim Spector. Uh, and I first learned of it um, watching some of the other moderators go through the study. And basically, what happens is they—they they have developed algorithms where they can predict how your body is going to react to food uh, by. St- by studying various aspects of you. So one area is your gut microbiome. So once you get your kit, they'll, the kit is really easy. It talks you through the whole process. Uh, but once you get your kit, one of the things you do is send in uh, a sample, a a gut microbiome sample. That's what I'll call it, but we all know it's a stool sample. Um, you also wear a, a continuous glucose monitor. So a CGM, uh, so that so they're monitor they're able to monitor through that how your body re- reacts to food, and then they also measure your blood your blood fat clearance so how well your body clears fat out of your blood once you take in um, meals. Now they do this by they have these challenge muffin meals. Okay, so there's a couple days during the study period where you have to eat these challenge muffins and perform certain steps following it. But once you send all this stuff back in, basically they send you back in about five, six weeks, they send you back three reports. One is a report on your gut microbiome. So it tells you how healthy your gut microbiome is. And it tells you literally every bacteria you could possibly even ever want to know about, whether or not it's there and how much, and whether it's good bacteria or bad bacteria. Um, It sends you a report based on meals that you've tested. So you you can choose to wear the CGM for an entire week longer than the study period. Uh, and when you do that, you can take pictures of your meals, and you you have to track and log during the the study period. So you're tracking every you know ounce of the food, but you're doing that so that they know how much you ate and how your body reacted. So they give you a report about your blood glucose, um, how well um, how well regulated your blood glucose is, and then also how well how well you clear fat fat out of your blood. You then download another app um a second app after the testing app there's a second app and that app is actually geared for your body so they have put your data through a whole bunch of their algorithms and they have spit out an app that can you can you can put in foods any foods right and it will tell you a score 0 to 100 based on your body's response how whether or not you should really eat that food essentially now, as you go through the weeks when you have the app, of course, at first you're, you're kind of paralyzed, right? You're looking through it all. You're seeing what foods work well for you and what doesn't, imagining that you might not be able to eat foods you love. But you start um, eating per their recommendations. Now, it doesn't just tell you what you should eat necessarily, but it you can add in food combinations into this app, and it'll give you a score based on the combinations. So it really teaches you to... um eat a balanced meal and what that might look like. Um, it also, so it it doesn't just tell you really what to eat, though. It, it can kind of tell you when. So for instance, I went from that alternate daily fasting pattern that really didn't feel good to T-mad now. So, but if I eat too much fat in my breakfast meal, if I try to eat my lunch too early, it will plummet my daily score because it will say, nah, uh that's, you've had too much fat at breakfast time, and you, ha- you're, you haven't given your body long enough to clear that, so you should not eat that right now. And if you do, I mean, that's your choice, but your daily score is not going to be very good. So, it kind of teaches you that you need to put some space between some of your meals, you know, especially if they're higher fat or or whatnot. Now, I know a lot of people that do high fat, um, low carb do do that in an OMAD pattern, so that's, you know, in a nomad pattern, that's not typically a problem. But one thing I have noticed with my zoo recommendations for my body is that I really, in order to get enough um, nutrients and get enough of the vegetables that work well for me, I really need to eat in a two meal a day pattern that makes it much more relaxed for me. So um, gone are the days where I'm hurrying to shovel in my food. You know what I mean? I have always been a morning eater, which I know is kind of an anomaly, even when I was doing OMAD, even when I was having my daily eating window, I always ate in the morning. So I do prefer to do that. I work out fasted in the morning, and then I usually have my breakfast um anywhere from 6:30 to 8:30 a.m., somewhere in there. And then I will I no longer snack. So now that I've been eating per their recommendations, I feel satisfied for probably the first time in this entire journey. So I no longer snack and I usually put another good four or five hours in there.
0: It's really interesting, and um, yeah, I'll yep. probably look at that a bit more because I'm always open to learning new things and that sort of thing. And any studies I sort of keep an eye on. But my philosophy around intermittent fasting has always been just to keep it simple. And what worked for me was, and we're all an experiment of one yep. up. That's sure using that as an experiment for your own body and, and yes. checking out what you need and that sort of thing. And and those mantras you talked about were great too. And one of mine is that instead of saying you can eat whatever you want, it's I eat whatever makes me feel the greatest and makes me work at my best. And so that's how I sort of flipped that around a bit. But Layla, we're sort of coming towards the end of this podcast now. And seriously, I could talk to you for hours. i find you super engaging. And um, your knowledge of this um, intermittent fasting lifestyle is just amazing. But if somebody's sitting out there like we were, and we're 100 pounds overweight, and we're lost, and we're thinking, oh, man, I'm just going to be like this forever. I'm just going to go down and get some Doritos and donuts and whatever, because game over. I'm just here. That's me. What sort of advice can you tell those people? Because the mountain isn't that high to climb, is it?
1: No, and you know, one of the best things for me is that I've gotten all my mobility back, and I'm really looking forward to traveling and not seeing the world through, uh, you know, on a tourist path. Uh, I guess what I would say to that person actually kind of goes completely against what I just against the grain of what I just said about the Zoe study, because you're right, that is a really technical process. But in the beginning, keep it simple. You know what I mean? Just just do a 16-hour fast. Ease your way in and feel, see how it feels. You don't need to change your diet. You don't need to change anything in the beginning. Just start the process. Now, my second little piece of advice, though, uh, especially once you hit about the four- to six-month mark, uh, would be also don't be afraid to tweak. And honestly, that's why the ZOE study came into play for me is, you know, I was nearing 20 months, 22 months and was still sitting at 185 pounds um, at five foot four. And that's not goal. That's not at my goal weight. That's not my goal weight at all. So that's when the tweak of the Zoe came in and it didn't come in until nearly 20 to 22 months into my journey. Um, Really just keep it simple. Learn, learn all you can about fasting, read some really great books, be careful about the getting misinformation. I wouldn't go to, I wouldn't go to a lot of videos probably just for that reason, but Reading some solid books like yourself like ones from yourself or Jen Stevens or Bet Lucas or Laurie Lewis, for instance. There's a lot of people that have written some really great books. Just educate yourself and take it one fast at a time.
0: Yeah, I think that's fantastic. What, um, information there, Layla. So one last question before you go. You're obviously getting to the point where you're looking at a maintaining lifestyle. You've decided intermittent fasting is you for life. This is gonna be what you're gonna do forever and a day now. So what sort of things are you thinking about there with the maintenance side of things?
1: I think I probably will continue with the Zoe recommendations and see where my body lands. So, you know, first, um, by then I'm pretty sure that I will have solidified that kind of practice in my life. Just making sure that I maintain eating healthfully. I think that's one of my focuses. That'll be one of my focuses. And then keeping my exercise and energy level up. I'm probably going to, go back to some heavy lifting and try to get some some mass on muscle mass on myself once i feel comfortable to do that. I think i probably have another 30 to 40 pounds i could lose.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been Layla to speak to you on this podcast today. And as i said earlier, you're one of the most inspiring people in this community that i know. So thank you for joining me here on the fasting highway.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Layla. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat with you and I think you're a real inspiration. I've followed you now for a couple of years and I think you're going to go on and share your journey with the world and inspire many thousands of people because I think your story is really reminiscent of so many of us that have had huge weight losses, huge weight gains, huge weight losses, but something about intermittent fasting is helping us keep that at bay and I think that's where we qualify how good this lifestyle is. So thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, Layla. And don't forget to tune in next week. Uh, we're going to have a guy called David Williams. Um, David's lost a fair amount of weight in a short period of time. He's a relative newcomer. Uh, he's lost some 50 pounds in a few months, so tune in for that one. Uh, once again, also, don't forget you can get my book about my own journey, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle. Also, if you want to have a look at my website, uh, www.thefastinghighway.com or join our Facebook community, The Fasting Highway, uh, you're more than welcome to do so. Anyway, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.